several times uh, as a young, younger man and as a young preacher, I heard a quote, um, and I don't know where it came from, <clears throat> but I'll try to repeat it the best I can. Next year, this time, you will be the same person you are tonight apart from the books you read and the people you meet. That's pretty close. And I began to think about that, and somewhere along the line, years and years ago, I said, I began, I pray, three things to pray for every day of my life, for God to fill me with his love, God to give me his wisdom, and God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. And, um, and, uh, and it dawned on me that I should pray for wisdom to know whom I should allow to influence me. And I began to pray for that, and pray for that still regularly after many years. And... Um, I have become more selective over the years about whom I should allow to influence me. She's saying beautifully about the faithfulness of God. He's, you know, the greatest characteristic of God. He's always the same. He's always holy, always loving. Amen? I mean, uh, he's, uh, he's just the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, um, and, and more and more, I want to be influenced by men who are time-tested. These men of old, obviously, they, they being dead yet, speak to us through their recordings and through video clips and their writings. But in my lifetime, I want to walk among men as much as possible who have been faithful and just stayed the same, who have been more loyal to principles than to institutions. There are so many, and I learned this from my dad. I, there's so many people I love and the people I appreciate and people I pull for, and people I pray for, some of which I won't allow to influence me. That doesn't mean I'm against them. It doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy their company if I'm around them. But I want to be influenced by those who've been faithful. I want to finish the way I started. And that's why time with someone like Brother Mrs. Goddard is so precious to Mrs. Shook and I. It really is, and uh, I'm thankful for it, and I, w if, I wish we lived closer, but tr if we lived closer, we probably would spend no more time together than we do now just because of our lives, but anyway, I'm grateful for Brother Bruce Goddard, and so proud now to call him not just someone to whom I look, but to count him a friend, and I appreciate that about him, and so preacher, come preach to us tonight, amen. Amen, thank you, Brother Shook. Thank you so much. Well, it's a blessing to be here. If you want to look at your Bible, we'll be in Hebrews 3, Philippians 3, and probably end, uh, end up along the way in Nehemiah chapter 6. But um, I just want to say a couple of quick things. First, thank you for being faithful. Um, I've got no end of admir admiration for the pastor, his family, his parents. Uh, the, I just think I was talking to one of the kids, what a blessing to be a member of the Shook family. And uh, what a, a heritage. We had one young man get saved and come to our church and he was the first one his family saved. He played college football and he was just a typical worldly mess. And he got coming to our church and growing, soul winning and just doing well. And he said, preacher, I wanna be the patriarch. And I said, really, what's that mean? He said, I wanna be the first one and all my family's gonna follow God. My kids, my grandkids, but he knew he was, he was on his own. And, uh, and I think that's a great thing. That's how I feel. I, I love having holidays at our house. 
And I don't have to do a thing. I don't need a present at Christmas. I do like them, but <laughs> I don't need them. And I sit around and watch my, my kids and my grandkids and my mom's still living. She comes over and my sister, she teaches at our school and, and just and the house will get full. It'll get a little crazy, especially at Christmas, because once you finish unwrapping the presents, then you wad the wrapping up and you start throwing at each other and it becomes a massive fan or a, a, a wrapping paper fight. And then someone turns a ceiling fan on, you start throwing things at the ceiling fan, it's shooting the balls over paper around and, and we'll bring some people over now and then, maybe uh, somebody's alone. And one year I had a couple of our men whose wives had both died, had them come over and, and the one was getting ready to leave. He said, you guys are nuts. <clears throat> he said, your whole house is nuts. And I said, ah, that's good, thank the Lord for that. I don't want to be, I don't mind being nuts. I don't want to be boring. And I, I asked my, I just asked my kids, especially my youngest, because he's going to be honest. And I said, look, if I ever get boring, you got to say, he said, oh, dad, you're not boring. People, you're OK. I said, all right, well, tell me when I get there. And so uh, he's leaving the country, so I'm safe. But um, anyway, thank you for your kindness. I really enjoyed my wife and I enjoyed being with you at uh, Myrtle Beach. And we didn't we didn't get to the beach. We saw it, but we didn't get there. We just basically stayed in the hotel. But um, I love being with you and your people. This is a refreshing church. And, and um, I know it's natural. You will, by nature, take it for granted. You're here all the time, right? When you're First Baptist, listening to Dr. Hiles. You know, some days I ran so hard and been so tired. One time, only once, I went to the furthest seat in the balcony and I just leaned my head against the wall. We'd had a three-day, big-day weekend, and I hadn't hardly slept in. I thought, I'm just, God, forgive me ahead of time, for I'm about to sin. <laughs> uh, but, and I, I it just was one of the, I remember, stand, remember the K-beams in the old auditorium? Somehow I had to go do something. I was in the back in a chair, and you couldn't hardly see under the mezzanine. I was right at one of those K-beams of invitation, and I stood there and, I, and it was, that cabin was right at my head. And I, and I went to sleep standing up. I've never slept standing up before. I think, God, what, is the, what do these people do? They're sadistic. But ever since then, the ministry's been easy. I get to sleep every night now. But um, I do look back thinking I got so much. I don't know if you could hang around me long without hearing me talk about Brother Hiles. But... but um, I don't take him for granted, but I don't think I was so into it then when I was there, just, just by nature. You, you know, it's like your spouse goes to heaven, all of a sudden you miss them. And before they irritated you, and not, not us, but you know, the other people. <laughs> but um, do your best to not take for granted Bailey's Grove Baptist Church. This is a refreshing place. It's a, it's a spiritual place, and you've got godly leadership in your staff and they do care, and, and they've got good visions. I tell our people, my one big goal is to see you at the throne of God on your face. And while we're all there, Revelation chapter four on our faces before the throne, there's the beasts around the throne and the crystal sea and God's on the throne and the lamb comes out. And we're all on our faces. I want to look over and see you. I just want to know you're there. And I want to see you when we cast our crowns. And my goal is to give you opportunities to earn those crowns. Because the only thing you'll have that day is what you earn here. And there'll be no second chances. 
And that's why we have Sunday school and buses and soul winning, all the ministries, because you get a chance to invest and invest and invest. But this is a great church. And thank you. And uh, Brother Ms. Shook are so kind to us. And I get around him because I like being around him. I videoed some of him leading singing because I'm teaching a junior, senior boys class. And right now I'm teaching on uh, leadership, leadership in the home, leadership in the church. And one of them is leading singing. And uh, you, you're not, you're leading. You're leading people to sing. And, and I, I'm going to show him in our, uh, if, the, if, the, if the video's online, I'm going to show him the whole thing. But I got a little bit on my phone. But uh, let me just say a word about Lester Roloff, too. Um, one of the men in our church worked at the Roloff Homes for many years. And so I got to follow him from a distance as a preacher, um, but also um, through uh, one of the families in our church that were there. And, and he said they memorized a chapter a month. Every year you memorize 12 chapters. That was just the, the rule of thumb. They, you just memorize the scriptures. And, and um, the word of God cleanses you. Now you are clean through the word which I've spoken to you. And if you've got some roughness in your background, you want to wash by the washing of the water of the word, Ephesians 5 says. This will wash us. This will cleanse us. And, and uh, it'll give us that, that purity. And, and uh, what a refreshing man, Lester. Ross. And one of the things I did not like about him is he allowed no soda on the entire roll-off ranches. That's a horrible thing to do to people. No sugar. That was a terrible thing to do. You take away soda pop and sugar, why do you get up in the morning? <laughs> so if you get tired of the preacher talking about fasting and health, you come to California, I'll meet you at a burger place. Milkshakes and soda pop, all right? And the most liberal government outside of Washington, D.C. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's look over to Hebrews chapter three. We're going to start there and read a verse. And I want you to put your finger there because we're going to come back to it. But I want you to read a verse in Hebrews chapter three with me. And uh, one simple verse at the beginning, Hebrews chapter three, verse one. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Do You know what you have? You have a heavenly calling. A heavenly calling. Now, keep your finger there and look over to Philippians chapter 3. Just back, if you're in Hebrew, just go a few pages back and you'll get through Timothy and Thessalonians and, and wherever else. You'll find the one, it's not with an F, it's with a P. Uh, find Philippians chapter 3. And this verse is maybe more familiar than Hebrews 3, but Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I press... Philippians 3, verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews tell us we have a heavenly calling. Philippians tells us we have a high calling. And what you have when you get saved, you've got something so noble so beyond anything on earth. If, if, if you could get invited to the castles of Europe or to, to uh, see the inauguration of a queen or king of England or go to the White House to see another idiot get in, put in there, um, there's nothing like what you already have in Christ. When I got saved, I found out I was brought into something so far beyond me. 
Do you ever, do you, I don't know, maybe I'm the weird one. Sometimes I just think I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve my name in that book. I don't deserve to be able to talk to the one who made the stars. Let alone have him say, come boldly to the throne of grace. Where, where do I fit in this? Just beyond comprehension, our high calling, our heavenly calling, and what we're supposed to do now because of our high calling and our heavenly calling, I'll read you one verse and pray in the book of Nehemiah chapter 6. Some people had come to Nehemiah and, and said, we want you to come down and meet us. And, and he said, no, I can't go there. But in verse 3, here's, here was his response in Nehemiah 6 verse 3. I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should I, the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? A great work because we have a high calling and a heavenly calling. Why don't we pray? Father, help me tonight. This church gets great preaching every week, and they probably would, most of the members prefer to hear their preacher tonight, but you've got me here. And the whole night's been refreshing, and we trust that it's just what you plan. But if you wouldn't speak to hearts, it'd sure be a waste of time. So please, Lord, would you come and uh, nudge us? You know where we'll be tomorrow morning, where we'll be this week. You know what we need? You know the young people here. You know the plans you have. You know the thoughts that you have. The thoughts you have toward them and about them. And, and think of Jeremiah from the womb chosen to be a preacher. Isaiah called and put into a, a very difficult but a great ministry. And all the people that you've lifted out of the miry clay and put them in a great work with a high and heavenly calling. Help us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm, I'm for jobs. I'm for, I'm for work. I, my kids work. They didn't need if they didn't work. In our house, by the time a child was big enough to pick up a toy to play with, they were big enough to pick that toy up and put it in the toy box. Amen. And no business mama picking up toys for kids. Amen. Now, if, if, you're, if you've got a teenager that's an issue, it's too late. <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, I'm talking about little ones. Start when they're little. We, we trained our kids a chokehold when they're tiny. They did not breathe without our okay. And then every year as they got older, we loosened up and loosened up and loosened up. By the time they were teenagers, um, we just trusted that they would do right because we'd trained them. And if they didn't, well, we had seven children. Four grew up to maturity and the other three are gone. But... <laughs> The other three didn't understand, but no. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, this, this, uh, this, this simple things of work, of, of clothing, of, of uh, being in church. And, but, you know, it's so much of it's on mom and dad. And I wanted my children to understand the privilege it is to be where we are and do what we do. The privilege to be saved, the privilege to be an American. Well, the flag meant something in our house. It may not mean anything to our politicians, but it does in our home. And uh, the privilege of, of being called a child of God, to have heaven as your home, the, the privilege to hold the word of God in your hands. What a privilege. And I, I tried to, to raise our children up, my wife more than me probably, because she was with them so much more, but to, to have a spirit of gratitude. What a privilege. What a privilege that I could pull out a gospel track and talk to somebody. And the miracle of miracles that I could find some heathen 
Now just watch this for a minute. I come over to this heathen. How you doing, Mr. Heathen? I mean, Mr. Smith, Mr. Cook. And I get chatting with him a little bit. And you know, now where we are right now, this guy is on his way to hell. He doesn't know me from the milkman. They don't even have milkmen anymore. He doesn't know who I am. And I'm at his front door. Or maybe I met him at the grocery store parking lot. And he's on his way to hell. And he doesn't know who I am. And you give us about 15 minutes. And as God's been working on his heart and I begin to talk to him about his sin and about Christ and about the love of God and heaven and the cross and the love that Jesus poured out on him and how Christ offers him a free gift of eternal life. And you know, the strangest here is you stand up because really, you're big. Uh, here's this big old guy. Gruff wouldn't shed a tear if you poked him in the nose. And here he is with a total stranger in the parking lot. And all of a sudden he's doing this, do that. <laughs> and on top of that, I say, according to this, if you were to call on the name of the Lord, what would you be? It says saved, right? Yes, sir. Saved. Any reason you wouldn't want to call on the Lord and have him save you? No, sir. Do you think God would lie to you? No, sir. Now watch this. 15 minutes ago, he's looking at stuff on the phone we won't talk about. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. He's on his way to hell. We bow our heads together. And in public, this big old, young, strong together guy, he's crying. <laughs> Asking Jesus to forgive him and save him and take him to heaven. Up in heaven, his name being written down. They're rejoicing in heaven. And he's thanking me. What I do? I told him about somebody who neither of us ever seen about a place neither of us have ever been. And wouldn't he like to trust that someone we've never seen to take us to a place he's never been. Amen. And he thinks I'm awesome. Thank you, brother. you don't think that's a high and heavenly calling. How does that happen? And I, I've stood at the front door with total strangers and that hugged me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. If any of their beer drinking buddies saw them, they would come uncorked. <laughs> what a privilege. What a privilege. So, you know, you've all, most of you got a job. Unless you're like me and you're a preacher, you just, you know, holler at people three times a week. But, but um, your job's fine. God wants us all to work. And we teach, we ought, to, we ought to teach our children to work from childhood up. Every kid ought to work, ought to have jobs. Um, our kids earn money, and, and I talked a little bit about that in our, at our couple's retreat. But, but, uh, but, you know, besides your job, there's a heavenly calling on you. If you look there back where we were at Hebrews chapter 3, let me just give you just a thought or two. If you look at Hebrews chapter 3, just I want it familiar to you. This is nothing profound tonight, and you could find all this on your own, but... But in Hebrews chapter 3, he's reminding us. Somewhere Hebrews 3 disappeared. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. He says, brethren, all of us, we're partakers of something from heaven. This isn't just religion. This thing is heavenly. This thing, 
who cares who a ball player is? Who cares who a politician is? We've got the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, who looked down from heaven and said, would you help me? Amen. You ever consider the honor that is? We were standing in line at the Golden Corral for lunch and, and got, and I said, you know, there's obviously some people come from church and there's a couple in front of us. And I just said out loud, well, there's enough church folks in here. We ought to be able to preach and have an offering. And that guy turned around and said, well, amen, or something like that. You know, why don't we talk about Jesus? Why would we wouldn't be embarrassed to talk about the Super Bowl or, or uh, some NCAA playoffs or whatever? Man, talk about him. Why? I have a heavenly calling. That calling is greater than any business. That calling is greater than than having somebody who wants to fly people up and, and settle a bunch of folks on Mars or Saturn. What a dumb idea. You read your Bible, you're not getting there and you're not setting up housekeeping. You will face the one who made Saturn and Mars. You will call him Lord. But I've got a heavenly calling. I, I, I took my kids out from the time they were babies and my grandkids hold them up, hit them all up in my, my arms at night and the sky so clear and the stars everywhere. And I said, look at those. Look at those stars. You know God made those stars so that you would look up to heaven and say, wow, God. What a God. We've got a heavenly calling tonight. I've been at um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were able to go up to Boston and go along the coast. We went over to Niagara Falls and and just took a, a week or so driving around that area, just spending time together, the two of us. And you stand there at those Niagara Falls and say, wow. It's pretty amazing. What's really amazing is the one who made them called you. Like a phone call. Hey, could you help me out? The one who made Niagara Falls, in fact, the one who made water. The one who made the hydrogen and the oxygen and figured out how to put it together so that that thing could be flowing for thousands of years. He said, hey, you want to give me a hand? You know, if, if some famous politician or movie star or somebody came along and, and you stopped and they stopped and they, they asked you to help them out with something. You know what you do? You come to church and say, do you know who I saw? I saw this old cripple guy alongside the road. He didn't know he was lost. And I found out it was President Biden. And, 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 but you know what? You, we would all talk a little bit. One, one of the boys from our church that now pastoring a church, he was at some ball game somewhere. And he was early for, it, for the game and and there was some ball games going on and he, he just went in there early and he sent me a picture of him and Kobe Bryant. He said, look at this preacher. I'm sitting in the bleachers with Kobe Bryant. I think it was his daughter he's watching play ball or something. And you know, I get to talk to the one who made Kobe Bryant. Not only that, he asked me to help him. In fact, he wants me to help him. In fact, he commanded me to help him. See, you've got a heavenly calling. My wife and I have been a couple of times to Yosemite, and I know you've got things out here that are beautiful, but I know California better than the Carolinas. But, but uh, you go up to Yosemite, and that Yosemite Falls is it's like a mile high. And you stand and look at that. And one year there had been so much snow and so much rain, 
we were probably, I don't know, 200 yards away, 300 yards away. And the wind from the water coming down, it creates its own wind, all that stuff dropping. And it hit the ground and it, and it would blow. We were getting wet and my daughter's hair was blowing straight sideways from the wind and mist of a waterfall 300 yards away. And we took videos and laughed. And I mean, that, that's pretty. Look, the, the waterfalls and no man can make what God makes. God makes the very best stuff. Trees and waterfalls all over the place and bears and all those things. And, and I, that's a pretty amazing place. But the one who made Yosemite Falls, he said, hey, would you help me out? I'm calling on you. I'm calling on you. He said, um, number one, I'm calling you to find some people who've not been loved. And would you tell them they're loved? He said, in your community, there's some people, they don't know I love them. And, and, and God says, what I need is someone who knows I love them to go tell those people that I love them. That's a heavenly calling. Amen. You don't have to be real smart. Just do you know he loves you? If you know he loves you, then you need to tell them he loves them, too. Not, it's not real hard. That's, we have a this this church and any gospel preaching church have got the same calling. It's a heavenly calling. God's up in heaven saying, please, these people are going to go to hell. And I did. I did all my part was I gave my son. And I had to turn my back on him as he became sin for you. Would you go tell somebody? I love them. But not only is the calling a work calling down here, there's also a calling to go up there. And, and so the hurry into the end of the story, you get to the end of this thing and he says, at one point, somewhere along your journey of obediently following the heavenly calling to work with him, he says, you know, you've worked plenty. That old body of yours is wearing out. Would you just want to come up and be with me? And he calls you home. Now we cry over losing people, but could I tell you something? They didn't lose anything. I, I've often wondered, here uh, Lazarus has been three days with the Lord. He was probably mad when he came back. <laughs> really? Well, you think about Paul at Lystra. Paul preaches, they drug him out of town, throw rocks at him, kill him. And at that moment, for however long, he's, he sees all the glories and the wonders of heaven. You know what Paul did when they took the rocks off him and he stood up awake? He went right back into town. Daring him to kill him again. He might have he had a sign, hit me. You know when you're kids, you put a little stick in the back of the kid next to you, kick me. Paul put one right in the front, hit her again. I don't know if they healed his body or if he just got up, you know, rocks and cuts and blood and runs into town. Kill, please. You don't even know how good it is where we're going. We're just here for a little while. We got this heavenly calling. It's the most amazing thing. We're, we're being called to a place where there's no more sin. 
No more heartache. No walkers, no wheelchairs, no hearing aids, no glasses. No arthritis. Uh, no insides that don't work. No outsides that don't work. You know, some of you can relate. I'm just getting to that point where when I bump something, I bruise. You know, I watch these football players. They jump up in the air, catch the ball with one hand. Somebody knocks the feet out from under them. They, they fall over. Sometimes they run across the goal line and just jump in the air and flip and flop. And I think, man, I, I would need, a, I'd need some help getting up. <laughs> I can bump into the pulpit. And there it is, three days later, yes, we're already at the pulpit at Bailey's Grove Baptist. <laughs> yeah, your skin's going to be all better. You've got a heavenly calling. Amen. You know, some of you that, that, that uh, we could reverse it. Some of you that have hair will all be bald because bald is beautiful. Uh, <laughs> we all have this idea what heaven, <laughs> heaven is right, right? Heaven's going to be, everybody going to be like me. Uh, probably not. Probably going to be like Jesus. And uh, probably all of us have... Uh, have a, a heart like, like Christ, streets of gold and buildings made of, gold, made of crystal and a river. And, and you ever think about how a groom treats a bride? This heavenly calling. We're the bride. And he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Now, when I got married, my wife knew what she was getting. Nothing. <laughs> we had a car that had been totaled in an accident, and it was multicolored because I picked up parts from the junkyard. It wasn't one of these cool old two-tone cars. It, it was like somebody who married too close. The, the, the headlights, one looked up, one looked down. <laughs> and I'm not preaching now. This is the truth. It was terrible. What a mess, that car. We had nothing. We had nothing. And um, I'd love to have given her. In fact, if I could have, I'd have given her anything in the world. And as I get older, I even more want to do that. But see, the groom, he's rich. And we're the bride. And the groom, we're is spouse too? He's not like your husband, ladies. He's got money. <laughs> not only does he have money, he's got everything. You know, what would you like? He's got it all. And, and then somewhere in there in all the relationships, we're joint heirs with him. See, this heavenly calling, it's not just a call to work for him, it's a call to go be with him. And here this short little window of time, Brother Shook, didn't it go fast? Boy, and the older I get, the faster that clock ticks. Just this little window you're here. You know how much your money's gonna mean to you when you get to heaven? Nothing. And whether you drove an old car or a new car, not gonna matter. Mrs. Goddard and I were driving around today, talking a little bit. And, we were talking about the, the vanity of men and how we think someone's better because they've, you know, you, you drive a Beamer. Well, I'd rather drive a Hummer. <laughs> Give me an old beat up pickup. But uh, it's not going to matter. You know, you went to church. I've been at Rick Martin's church over in Elo. Elo, the place is enormous. And, 
and there's, a, there's an auditorium, it's completely open, no air conditioning, and then there's a gym next to it that's opened up, and, and then something over here, and I don't know how many people, thousands, several thousand people fit in there. They don't have air conditioning, they don't even have walls. That's the sweetest place you'd ever want to go to. You know, they love God like you love him. It doesn't matter. It's a beautiful building, and I'm sure you've got homes and cars that are beautiful, but I'll tell you what, where we're going, it's going to be amazing. That's your heavenly calling. He said, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. He said, would, would you consider this apostle and high priest? Consider him. Think about it. You're worried, you know, here's one preacher over here. I wonder what Brother Shook thinks of me. I wonder what Brother Cook thinks of me. I wonder what everybody thinks of me. We might consider what he thinks of me. You know, and I happen to know Jesus loves me, this I know, and I don't care whether you like me or not. <laughs> and I do care, but I'll tell you, the one that really matters is the one who really matters. Oh, this heavenly calling. And then over in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize. All right, there's a prize. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. And he makes it clear. You might think I'm not much of a Christian. I don't think I'm much of a Christian. If you think you're much of a Christian, you're not much of a Christian. <laughs> but Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't have anything special. And I can tell you, I'm not. We, we started our church, we were, we were six weeks in a school, and then we rented this little building out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, in the, from our building we rented, you couldn't see anything. There was nothing, just fields. There's no trees where we live. It's all deserty kind of land. And, and here we are in this little rented building, and you walk in the main door of the building. This is a six-week-old church now. Of course, you know what kind of a great church you build in six weeks. And um, you walk in there, and the first thing you see is the bar and the beer lights. And then you look at this wall and it's got this great big mural of midget wrestlers. <laughs> now you know how many clothes wrestlers wear? So they got these little speedos on and, and smaller bodies tend to be more defined. And their legs are you know, toned and, and a whole bunch of midget wrestlers. The guy who owned all that used to, he was a fighting promoter and he'd bring in midget wrestling and, and he had pictures of all of them posing. So you walk into church, there's the bar, there's the beer lights, there's the midget wrestlers. One teenager came in one time, walked in and said, this is my kind of church. <laughs> and you turn to the left, there's like a triple door that just opened no door, just a doorway. And there's the jukebox with oldies that some of you would know. You probably dance to them. <laughs> old, old music. And then there's a picture on the wall that every Sunday we put a blanket over because we didn't want that picture behind the pulpit. And a parquet dance floor and, and um, a first anniversary we had 127 people. Second anniversary, 271. Our fifth anniversary we had 700 people show up. And that was when we put the tents up. That was our first day in the tent. And we were on a dirt lot. And, and you couldn't see, there was one house within view of our property. There was just nothing, just out in the middle of nowhere. 
That's where Brother Hiles came. He said, this is a miracle. I said, yeah, it's a miracle. Anybody comes. That's a miracle. Our nursery was on a bus. We had this bus. We, it, was, it had been gutted and put long shag uh, Brady Bunch carpet in the bottom or uh, whatever that group was in those old days. You know, yours, mine, and ours or something. And, and it was painted psychedelic colors. And, and we, we built, um, built two-decker cribs and put PVC. The, the kids were in cages. You open it up, put the baby in there, close it. And you just hope the kid above you, his diaper, didn't leak. Because they were, they were t- you know, I remember the Sunday, this, this research engineer comes walking into church with his two-year-old and twin babies just born in a car seat up to my nursery bus. I'm thinking, oh, they're not coming back. <laughs> we, we know we won't see them again. <laughs> He's been my school principal for 30 years. He's got one child in Guatemala as a missionary and one pastoring in Central California and the other one works as my administrative assistant. We press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. I think we had more young people at Howells Anderson than any church in America before we had flushing toilets. It's God. You know what you need to do? You don't need to be as good as anybody else. You need to press toward that mark for the prize. I mentioned this morning, I, I, I struggled. I was probably in the ministry five years before I got comfortable reading anything but my Bible. For some reason, I could read this. This book did not intimidate me. But any, I didn't read any other book. You hand me a book, I'll say, oh, thank you. I struggled. I got over it. But um, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be athletic, good looking. You know, the shooks have got everything. But you don't have to be shooks. You just got to press toward the mark of the prize. And look at what he said in that verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Do you know the prize comes to those who press toward the mark? You understand this is not a short-term thing you're in. This is an eternal thing. Some of you, it's getting real short. <laughs> not looking at anybody in particular, but the journey is growing short. You know, we're going to be a thousand years from now. We're still going to be there. Ten thousand years, we're still going to be there. A hundred thousand years, we're still going to be there. When the millennial kingdom ends, it will just be the beginning of the eternal kingdom. You, know, you, you start thinking about this thing, this church age we're in and however long the Lord has till the trumpet sounds, but we're in the, some tribulation time and then there's that thousand year millennial reign of Christ and we're reigning and ruling with him. And that just gets the ball rolling. I mean, they just got the thing organized and now we get to really run this thing. There's a prize. I know there's nobody in here tonight who thinks I am somebody. But could I tell you something? You are somebody. Uh, that insecure junior high girl, that boy who's, you know, doesn't know what to do for fear someone will look at him. You just press toward the mark. You don't have to apprehend. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not anybody special here. But I'll tell you what, I'm pressing toward the mark. And let me just close with Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 6. 
This guy Sanballat in verse 1 and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, these guys. And Nehemiah 6, 1 says Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem and the rest of our enemies. Do you know when you start building something, see this story's context, we don't know it. Israel had been 70 years in captivity, little by little. They came back, back in the book of Ezra and under Zerubbabel and others and they got the temple um, basically constructed. And Nehemiah came back to help rebuild the walls because they were very vulnerable to the enemy. All he's trying to do is put some walls up. And you know, people are trying to attack him. Probably the devil doesn't attack people who aren't getting something done. And you may find yourself opposed. You may find somebody trying to call you. Oh, come on. Quit that. You're at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Look, we're going to go to the lake. We're going to go to the mountains. We're going to go to Myrtle Beach. Just trying to get you off the wall. Trying to get you to look. What's the big deal? I was thinking about when I started. Maybe you remember the bus um, conferences all over America. There were bus conferences. Churches were bus ministries were everywhere. Try and find them today. The devil's won the battle in most churches in the bus ministry in America. I have a, somewhere in my files a copy of a, one of the most well-known churches in Southern California. And the pastor sent out a letter to everybody that rode their buses and said, we're going to discontinue the transportation ministry in our church. But if you are a family unit and need a ride, let us know. We'll find a way to get you a ride. In other words, if there's a mom and dad and kids, we'll take you. But if you're just a bunch of kids, we don't want you anymore. Well, the devil's. He wants you off the wall of bus ministry. He wants you off the wall of soul winning on Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday, whenever you're up there. And, and you know what? You're building a wall around a city as big as Jerusalem. You think your rock matters? That's how you feel. Well, you know, I went out today and I just met this one loser in the parking lot. And <laughs> I don't know that I did any dip, made any difference. Oh, your rock made a difference. That wall was built one stone at a time. In fact, the people who've done excavating here, Brother Mutzler might tell you about it. He was there, but I won't tell his story because he might go to jail over it. But as they're excavating down those walls in Jerusalem, they found one wall because, you know, they built it and knocked it down, built it, knocked it down. He said they got to one spot in the excavation where it seemed the whole wall was built of hand sized stones. My wife and I were there. The stones that are there now are four foot and six foot high and wide, 20 feet long. But there's this one section in the train. Where, why would there be a wall all of small stones? Well, because this guy and his two daughters built their section. If you read the story of Nehemiah, you'll see it. Your stone matters. And Nehemiah says in verse 3, see, the, the critics are going to call you down. You, know I mean? you, go to the, you go to that church. Oh. Oh, you go to Bailey's Grove. That's the one where they tell you how to do everything and won't let you do nothing. They'll let you tithe. <laughs> and Nehemiah said in verse 3, I sent messages unto them saying, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it? See, they're only, they don't care what you do as long as you stop working. 
You can go be a drunk, they're happy. You can go work night and day and be rich and the, and the devil's crowd will be happy. You, you could go join a Masonic Lodge or you could go join a hunting club or you could join off-roaders or whatever goes on around here. And the devil's crowd does not care about anything you're going to do as long as you're off the wall. I'll tell you, when you're on the wall, you're doing a great work. You might say, well, I've, I lost my marriage. Pick up another rock. And put it on the wall. My child broke my heart. Pick up a rock. You're doing a great work. You don't think there's some hurt along the way? You read the story here. Nehemiah and Ezra, there's some rough times in there. At one point, Ezra grabbed some people, threw them to the ground, pulled their beard out and smote them. Stop it. It's my kind of Christianity. I'm a Baptist. I'm not a Methodist, but I do like Peter Cartwright. In the middle of a service, somebody interrupted. He just leave the pulpit and beat him, throw him out the back door and come back up and finish his sermon. I like that kind of. Oh, for those days when you could call people names. Now, you have, number one, a heavenly calling. It's not the boss who says, I need you. It's not the neighbor, can you come help me with my car, or my boat? You've got a heavenly calling. And Philippians 3 tells you, not only do you have a heavenly calling, you've got a high calling and there's a prize. There is a prize. I mean, better than a super, you know where Super Bowl rings end up? eBay. They say three out of four of them or some number like that. They just hawk them. They mean nothing once they get it. You have a prize that's eternal. And what you're doing, he says, I can't come down. I am doing a great work. Forty-one years ago when my wife and I drove into our little town for the first time, I never knew how much good we'd have. I never knew how much harassment we'd have. But I knew this, what I was doing was a great work. And I could tell story after story. People saved, people off in the ministry, people starting churches, missionaries, going out of that little tiny town. A thousand people in our town. You probably had as many people on the property today as we had in our whole city. It's a great work. But it wasn't mine and hers. It was ours. It was ours. I remember, the, I remember one of our boys, he got saved, started coming. He was a knucklehead, university student. And he get, he's preaching in junior church. And um, Michael Jackson was at his heyday. And he brought a big poster of Michael Jackson and burned it in junior church. I thought, man, you can't do that. What are you thinking? Tell him you want him to get saved. Don't burn him. You know, young Christians sometimes are dumb. You know, old Christians sometimes are dumb. And there's a gal came and came forward to the invitation. I had my wife deal with her. And we had that little building with Midget Wrestler's Bar, all that. But he did have a little kitchen off the back, just a little tiny kitchen. And this gal came forward, and there's really nowhere to go. And her two-year-old was in the nursery, which is in our living room across the street. And there's only two houses there. And and so my wife went back in the kitchen. So little by little, everybody left. My wife never came out and that lady never came out. And so I went across to our house and, 
And there's only that one kid left and everybody's gone. So I told the nursery workers, you can go, I'll stay with the two-year-old. And stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. And finally, my wife comes walking across by herself. And I said, so what happened? She said, I don't know. She has a hard time believing God could love her for her life. And she said, I went through everything. I just said, you're going to have to decide if you're going to believe God or not. But he said he loved you. A while later, she came walking across the parking lot and came into the house and said something like this, I guess I'm going to believe him. She has run our Wednesday night children's ministry for 35 years. She's got kids of kids she taught in there. You know, she's now in her 60s. And she's doing a great work. And probably so are you. Because this place has got all kinds of opportunities to do a great work because of your high calling and your heavenly calling. Let's, let's don't throw that to the wind. All right, Father, help us.